Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is one of the final books of the New Testament. You can start with Revelation and work your way leftward, if you'd like, just a little bit. There's Jude and the letters of John and then 2 Peter. We'll be looking this evening now at the end of the second chapter. Specifically, the second half of verse 10 through verse 22. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by the storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would teach us from Your word, even in the sharp and frightening warnings of Your Word such as we see this evening. Lord, we ask that You would challenge us. Challenge us to give up our sin. 
to mortify the deeds of the flesh and to seek after you. To go away from what seems easy when it takes us away from you. Lord, we ask that you would bless us this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you know it's a saying that I think every parent has said. And every child has heard, even if they don't believe it. You know the scenario. It's when the child has been caught red-handed in some form of disobedience. Perhaps you've taken dessert without mom giving permission. Perhaps you have not cleaned your room the way you ought to have. Perhaps you have spoken up or against your parents and your parents come to you and they say these words. Now you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you shake your head and you think, why don't I spare us both the pain? Let's just skip the punishment altogether. Because you see, on some level, we don't really believe that that's true. But that principle is also applied in the church. You see, to stand for truth, to stand against sin in the church, and to conduct discipline in the church really does hurt us more than it hurts you. And I think this is true because we see how little discipline is practiced in the church. The church does everything it can to avoid practicing discipline because it is painful. It's awkward. We don't like to be involved in this. We like everything to be happy and smooth. But Peter knows that there are times when we must call out sin and false teaching. Because if we don't, it will hurt very much. People will be damaged and destroyed. And so this evening, Peter continues warning the church about false teachers with false practices that are found in the church and have been found in the church throughout all of its history. But now specifically, he's very concerned about specific people that he knows who might be led astray by these false teachers. These false teachers who bring in false teachings, denying even the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. And so what He does for us is, this evening, He describes in some detail what they look like, these false teachers, and what the dangers are that they present. And so this evening, I'd like us to look at this text and to think about how this applies to us and our relationships and our lives, both in our church here, in our church nationally, and in the church throughout the world. Because there really are only a few types of errors that are pressed. But they're very dangerous. So let's begin here at the second half of verse 10. Verse 10 is an interesting verse, because it is divided in two most translations, will have a paragraph break right in the middle of verse 10. And this reminds us that Peter is now 
going on with what he has dealt with in the first ten verses of chapter 2. He has been describing the false teachers who are like the false prophets and how they are destructive and how they are greedy and how they are contrary to the work of God. And now he begins to show us why they are this way. He describes them first as bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. The first thing that we see about them is that they're not afraid really of anything. And if we think about it, that's an attractive quality, isn't it? We like people that are bold. We like people that take chances. We talk all the time in America, don't we, about entrepreneurs who make something out of nearly nothing and how they've pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and how they take bold and fresh chances. It's, it's a quality that's attractive to us. And, and this is also true in the church. People come into the church and they have bold, new, exciting ideas. They say, let me tell you what the Apostle Paul really meant when he was saying this. Oh, you don't need to worry about what all these people in the past have said. I really know what he's talking about. Or they say, let me tell you about what it means to live life as a Christian. It means to be free. Jesus said he would set you free. Let me show you what true freedom is. Live boldly with me. Be a real man. Be a real Christian. And if we're honest... When this first comes on the scene, before all of the details filter in, and before all of the consequences come, it seems very attractive. We're drawn to them. Now, lest you think this is not true of the church in general and at large, I want to just remind you of the scene of evangelicaldom. And who are the men who are on TV? Who are the men who are on the radio? You know, for the most part, it is those who are these kind of bold new teachers who are peddling new doctrines. It's a way to become rich and famous. And so, this kind of boldness is at first attractive, but we must understand what is underneath it. They are bold and willful. This actually, Peter writes it together. It's like being described as one characteristic. They are undisciplined. And they are mockers. You see, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. You see, they are willing to talk about whatever they want. And no one can stand in their way. You see, these false teachers have no fear in their eyes. They are willing to talk badly, to slander, to blaspheme even the angels. And this is something even angels do not do. You know the old saying? Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Well, angels fear to tread here. You see, Peter says the angels, even though they are greater in power, greater in might, they don't do this kind of slandering, this kind of blaspheming, this blaspheming judgment, even about those who deserve it. They're fearful in the presence of the Lord. They're respectful. But not these false teachers. No, they are mockers. They think they know everything. Do you know anyone like that? 
Perhaps that was you. First day on the job, you've been trained at school, and you go in and you now have everything. You know all this. You've received the finest training at the finest school, and you're going to go and set all of these people straight. They've been doing things wrong for years and years and years. Now you're there to fix everything. You know all the answers. Now you look back and you see how foolish that was. That you really didn't have all the answers. You know, this is almost the equivalent in the church of a perpetual teenage disease. You know that, parents, don't you? There's some sort of phenomenon in nature in which the knowledge and wisdom of a person spikes to its maximum at about age 14, right? In which you know everything. And we chuckle about it now. But you see, there is something about acting as if we know everything that is damaging. Because in reality, these blasphemers, these false teachers, they are ignorant of the truth. And Peter, using wonderful, colorful language, says, you know, they're like irrational animals. They don't have any logic at all. They're creatures of instinct. They're bumbling around. They don't understand the law, even though they think they do. They don't understand grace, even though they talk about it as if they do. They don't even understand God. They think they do. But they're irrational. They're ignorant of the truth. And what do people do when they are ignorant and think and act as if they know it all? Well, there's only one thing to do, isn't there? You make it up as you go along, don't you? One of my favorite tactics as an attorney, whenever I was involved in a negotiation and trying to uh, deal with an issue that I didn't really know about, there is a trick. You speak with great confidence and certainty. You say, we will do this. This is the way it is. And then you leave yourself an out. And you say, but I have to check with my tax guy just to make sure there aren't any bad tax implications. But you speak with real confidence. You do this, don't you? A word from a mom can still the thoughts of all the children. And that's what these... False teachers do. They don't know the truth, but they're willing to make it up as they go along. They're willing to affirm anything they want. They're giving freedom of thought. They're talking about matters, Peter says in verse 12, of which they are ignorant. But what they do is they just simply make it up as they go along. And the problem there is when we have this kind of attitude, we actually descend rather than ascending. Why Peter says they're like animals. It's not surprising that we see that in the world today, is it? That as much as we push freedom of thought and freedom of action and do whatever you want and there are no constraints, and then we see people acting in society like animals. This is the result of this kind of despising of authority and of thinking we know it all. And as always happens, what we think works itself out into our actions because you see, these people are not only self-important, not only mockers, but they are also driven to sin. Peter says this at the end of verse 13. He says, They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. 
They are blots and blemishes. They're full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They cannot get enough of sin. They have hearts trained in greed. And so, not only do they think they know it all and want freedom to think about whatever new thing they want, they think they can do anything they want. We might call it freedom of self-expression. Hey, don't hold me back, man. I got to live the way I want to live. I got to be free. I got to be me. And if that means taking something from somebody else, hey, that's me. And if that means living a life of sin and debauchery and immorality, you've got to give me space. Isn't that the way our world is today? The only thing that is illegitimate is to actually have standards. Think about all of the things that are glorified in the newspaper, in the movies, in the tabloids, in magazines, that would have been horrifying to even mention 20 years ago. It's as if it's some kind of grand and good thing to commit immorality. We're happy for the stars. We love it when stars live out of wedlock. We love it when they put on display all of their sins. Somehow we think it's a freedom of expression. And you see, what happens here is living like that is the exact opposite of what it means to be a Christian. As we live in Jesus Christ, we should be noticed, we should be noticeable, but it should be for our following the Lord. Do you see how Peter describes the false teachers? He says they are blots and blemishes. Which is actually the exact opposite of what he says Jesus is doing for his church. He says that what Jesus is doing is he is preparing his church to be, in verse 14 of chapter 3, without spot or without blemish. He says the way they act shows that they're the exact opposite of what it means to follow the Lord. And they may think that they have their life under control. They may think that they can stop, but they can't. They're insatiable for sin. They are in chains to sin. They are wandering around, Peter says, in deserts of their own making. And the only skill that they have is a skill in committing sin. He has this kind of wonderful, colorful phrase here in verse 14. He says, they are, they have hearts that are trained in greed. The word here for greed in the Greek is the same word that we get gymnasium from. What you have to picture here is they are so enchained to their sin that they get up at five o'clock in the morning to be trained in greed. You all know how hard these Olympic gymnasts work in preparation for the Olympics. They have no life except for training. They're in the gym all the time, up early, up late, working as hard as they can. What Peter says is their life, these false teachers, is a life of sin. It's of learning how to sin more. They cannot give it up at all. And then he gives us an illustration of what this means. He tells us the story of Balaam, the son of Baor. Now you may know this from the Old Testament. Balaam was a prophet 
And one of the kings of the enemies of Israel, Balak, came to Balaam and he said, I want you to curse Israel because I think what's happening is people are cursing these other kingdoms and tribes and that's what's making the Israelites win. So please, do your magic for me. This is kind of the ancient Old Testament equivalent of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Track with me here. You remember what happened in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Nazis thought simply by possessing this magic talisman of an ark that they could make it do whatever they wanted to do contrary to the purpose of God and the purpose of the ark itself. That's what Balak is trying to do with Balaam. He's trying to use prophecy which comes from God to curse the people of God. Now Balaam should be smart enough to know you can't do this. And he is. He says, I'm sorry. If you gave me all the gold and silver in your house, I can't say anything but what God gives to me. So far, so good. Except for one thing. He says, well, but anyway, I'll go along with you. He knows the truth, but he won't act on it. Even though he knows what he should be doing, he is willing to sin on behalf of greed. And you see, that's what the false teachers are like. These are not people that are ignorant of the truth. They know the truth. They have had the gospel preached to them. They have had the gospel taught to them. They know the scriptures, and yet they willingly and intentionally reject it for their own sinful desires. This tells us something in our relationships with others. Perhaps... This evening, you are not sure about the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're not sure what it means to be a Christian. Perhaps you're not sure that you can make that step and commit yourself in that way. What you need to know is that problem is not intellectual. You may pretend it is, but it is not. The problem that those who do not know Jesus out in our community have is not one of knowledge or of intellect. It is one of the heart. It is one of not being willing to give up what we want. It is not being willing to submit to the Lord. And you see, when we live these kinds of lives, when others are around us, when we are driven to sin, when we cannot give up sin, what happens then is we wind up having a ministry, but it is a deadly ministry to others. And again, Peter uses this this vivid, colorful language. He must have been a great storyteller to be around. You see how he does this in verse 17? He says, They are waterless springs and mists driven by the storm. What he says here is they basically have nothing of value to say. They talk and talk and talk, but there's no worth or comfort in what they have. Now, you have to understand what a waterless spring would be like. If you lived in a land where you could not turn on a tap and get water, you couldn't even go to your refrigerator and get water, you couldn't even go to the store and go get water, you had to go travel to a place where there was a well or a spring, sometimes maybe for days. And as you traveled and you looked off and you would see the spring, you would see the oasis, you would get excited. I'm going to get water. I'm so thirsty. 
Come on, let's go. And you know what that's like when you see something and it's right before you. You start to pick up the pace. You start to run. You find energy you didn't know you had. And you go and you get there and you see the well and you look. And there's nothing. That's more disappointing than if you'd never seen the spring to start with. Because you expected help and comfort. You expected refreshing water. And you get nothing. And Peter says that's what the false teachers are like. They're worse than no teachers. They lead you on. You think that there is something of value there. You think that there is something going to bring you closer to God. And what happens is there is nothing. It's dry. You see, they appear to know the answer. They're convincing. They speak loud boasts of folly. And they can actually entice people into believing what they have. They're trying to convince you. And where they, what they do is they attack on areas of vulnerability. Look at verse 18. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. You see, they're the type of people that say, you know, it is hard to change, isn't it? It's hard to change habits. If we're in a habit of lying, it's hard to change that and tell the truth. If we're in a habit of stealing, it's hard to change that and to not steal anymore. If we're in a habit of using bad language, it's hard to restrain ourselves. So you know what? Don't change. Look how easy that is. Change is hard. Don't change. You can have it all. You don't need to be holy. You don't need to follow God. Hey, you can have everything that you want. And that's very appealing to us, isn't it? It's been very appealing to the church at large. We think that we can have holiness and yet be in the world, of the world. You see, this kind of ministry, as it were, is a ministry of sin, and it cannot quench the thirst that we have for God. Because there's no water. But it's not just that they're waterless springs. He also describes them as mists driven by a storm. And so they're also powerless against sin. You see, they tell you you can be free. But what does it mean to be free? I'm afraid that in our day and age, freedom is linked inevitably with license. That is, we believe we are free when we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, with no consequences. One of the ways that this experiences it in, in America is that we believe we have freedom and we have ability because we are given things. We're given things by the government. We're given things by our companies. And we think that this frees us up to do whatever we want. But what's the problem there? The minute someone takes away the thing you've been given, you realize that you can't live without it. That you're enslaved to it. Think about the ability that you have in just one arena. Today. Television. You can watch almost anything you want on any number of channels, get news, get sports. You could wake up at 3.30 in the morning and watch replays of your greatest games. See everything that you want, whenever you want. That's freedom, right? 
What happens if it's taken away? What happens when there's a blackout? Are you like most of us, if I can confess, are you like me when power goes out and the internet goes down? Do you know what to do with yourself? Do you wander around and just say things like, I wish the power would come back on. Where's the internet? I can't get on it. You see, we become dependent. How much worse is it, though, when we become dependent on a way and a life of sin? We don't think there are consequences, but the consequences come home because, you see, we are shackled to this kind of destructive sin. And what Peter says is, we wind up earning a reward of sin. In verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they become entangled again in them and are overcome, the last state is worse than the first. They have willfully turned back from the knowledge of God. Now, we're not talking about people here who are saved and then losing their salvation. We're talking about people who understand and know the claims of the gospel. And if we think about it, it is easier to have hope for someone who has never heard the gospel. Because you say to yourself, I know exactly what their problem is. They don't know. They've never heard. They don't know how grand and glorious Jesus is. They don't know about sin. They don't know about all of the provision that God has given. They don't know the promises of God. If I share it with them, oh. Now think again if there is someone who has known the promises of God, who can quote Scripture to you, who understands the theology, and who has then rejected Jesus. There's far less hope, isn't there? Because they've made a willful, conscious decision to turn away from the truth of God and His Word. How do we persuade them? How do we speak to them? And you see, that's what Peter says. They're in a worse position than those who had never heard. They have shown their true colors. They have shown that they treat the gospel as a joke. And they want no part of it at all. You see, this is important for us to understand. Because the ministry that we have here in Houston, Texas, in 2013, is not that different from the ministry that Peter had in the first century. In every church, there are going to be true and false Christians. And what that means first and foremost for you and for me is we have a duty to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith, to make sure that we truly believe what we say we believe and that we follow up that belief with action because that shows that we are committed to it. But there's also an examination that must go on in the body. There is a discipline that must go on. Not as a witch hunt, not to persecute people, but that God might be glorified. That we might warn those who are straying. We might warn those who are going to wells without water. We might warn those who are powerless against the storm and who think they can stand. Because you see, when we do that, that is where we find victories of grace. That is where we see the Lord at work. 
It's not a fun task. It's not something that we should relish. It shouldn't be something that we enjoy. It's a duty that we have in following God and His Word. So this week, begin with yourself. Examine yourself. Think of areas in your life that need to be carved out because they are contrary to the Word of God. Because they are testifying falsely to others about who God is. Because they are wrong. Because they are leading you astray. And because they promise freedom when all they bring are chains. Seek instead the true One who sets us free. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this warning from the Apostle Peter. We pray, O Lord, that You would make us a people who would seek to root out sin in our lives. That we would seek to follow after You with all our hearts. That we would seek to be content with knowing that we do not know everything. And that we need to learn at Your feet. This we ask, O Lord, in the name of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd please stand for the Lord's blessing. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.